Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. How you feeling today, Robbie? Well, we won. Uh, uh, that's actually the least eventful news of the week, which is surprising. Uh, would have thought it was the most eventful news. Uh, so I'm, I'm in a good mood. I'm excited for the future and um, ready uh, to do this toast in a, in a shot here. Yeah, despite the fact that it's a bye week, we do have a lot of subject matter to get to, as I'm sure you're all well aware. And the Hokies won, like Robbie said. That puts a smile on our face. And we're also privileged to be joined by Joe Lanza, editor and founder of thekeyplay.com. Joe, thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. So, Robbie, why don't you give us this cheers so we can honor Coach the right way and then... uh, get into some of our BC recap here. Yeah, I'll make this one up on the fly. Uh, 29 years in the making, and here we are. There's been uh, a divided fan base in a lot of respects for for a few years now. I think we're all collectively on the same page uh, with respect to one thing, and that's wanting him to go out the right way um, and pay you know our tribute to a coach that's done uh, so much for this program, which is an understatement. He really created this football program. So let's kick things off with a nice cheers to him, as well as a cheers to, to Joe coming on and joining us for the show, which is always exciting. So cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Whoops. Woo. All right. Well, oh, man. Like I said, we got to win, and we've only had four of them this year, so it means a little bit more than it would normally to beat a team in the ACC who doesn't have a win yet, but going to Chestnut Hill and getting a win any year is good for the Hokies. We always seem to have a tough time up there, and this one was honestly a little bit different than that. We, We kind of easily won this game, and that's surprising to me. We jumped on them early. And we killed the clock late, and I thought it was a good game plan that we went in with. And unlike the last few games, I don't really have a problem with a lot of the play calls or a lot of the coaching moves or anything else, which is which is shocking. Joe, what were your thoughts on the game overall? Uh, I thought it was a great game overall for Tech. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought Boston College was kind of a terrible football team uh, at the beginning of the year. Not to you know, at the beginning of the year, what I thought was. You know, those were one of those teams that we had better talent on paper. And, you know, it showed. We went up there. We we basically jumped out to a lead, like you said. And then we basically just iced the game the entire second half, which I know, you know, a lot of our fans were, just didn't like. But that that's the type of football that they this club really wanted to play. They wanted to, you know, get up, uh, hold, the, hold the lead with their defense and be able to run the clock out. And they did just that. BC, I, I said in one of our previous podcasts, is always – it's a bitch of a game every single time because there's no atmosphere up there. And Pete, Pete was confused last time we had talked. That I actually went to, to grad school up at Chestnut Hill, BC. So when I was alluding to in our last podcast about having, having been there, I wasn't misspeaking. I went to Virginia Tech and BC. And nobody shows up to those games. And especially not on Halloween. Nobody shows up and... Um, you know, a 12 o'clock game, if anybody was getting up that day, it was to go to the bars to get an early jump on things, not to go to the game. I had a friend up there, 
uh, that went and said it was almost all Virginia Tech fans. So that with that atmosphere, it home it hurts. I think the away team in that in some respects because you know the BC and the Eagles guys are are used to it and. So I think going up there and getting the W is a big win for us because we always seem to have a little bit of trouble with that team. So I thought Brewer looked good again. He was accurate, 15-21. Trayvon had a nice game, hundred over 100 yards against this BC rush defense, which is number one in the country and against any other running back had only given up 56 yards. So him getting 105, even though it took 33 carries, is still really impressive. Daddy finally got a sack, which I think we can all celebrate a little bit. He had been waiting for a long time for that one, and he managed to take someone to the ground with his lobster hands, and he even forced a fumble in this game. He had three three and a half tackles for a loss. You might say that this was really Daddy's breakout game, and it's a little late in the season for that, but I'm still happy for him and happy that he had a good game. Uh, a couple other notes were uh, Moto's strip and score. That really changed the game. That was a huge play. And we had, uh, like I said, we had four turnovers, and that was the story of this game. We we scored early, but then we were able to really clamp down on them, turn the ball over a few times, and other than the one interception by Brewer, I thought it was a really, really well-played game overall. I also noticed that Stroman was in on defense again, and I saw in the game notes afterwards that was because of a scratch by Alexander. I wasn't aware that he was even had an injury issue, but that's why Stroman was in on D and he combined that with his first really good return of the year, a 31 yard return. And so it was good to see him get on, on the same page. These are things that we expected from the beginning of the season. And we finally were seeing him in this game. And maybe it's because we were playing a really bad team. I'm not really sure, but uh, other than the 11 penalties, I thought it was good. Robbie, do you have any final thoughts on the game? Um, I think we can be done praising McMillan because I think he's just a stud in general. I think we're almost doing a disservice to how good he is talking about him every week. Uh, I think he's our, you know, the running back of the future. I think we all know that. I'm glad Bucky Hodges is showing up on big plays. He was a little bit absent uh, during the beginning part of the the season, so it's cool to see him getting involved. Um other than that, I, I was like, I liked seeing, and this actually ties back, Joe, to one of the articles I think French had written, which was lack of energy that we were seeing on the defense. I saw a lot of guys getting up off the ground trying to stay in the play on a lot of plays as opposed to laying around and you know not showing a lot of energy. I, shot, I, I think I saw a lot of get up and go, which was a nice change from what we had seen in some previous games that I think um, French had alluded to in one of his articles on the website. So I thought that was interesting. Yep. I, uh, you know, but at the end of the game, it's like, you look at that, uh, you look at the BC game. I mean, we made some mistakes. We, we tried hard to give it away, uh, give it away to him. I mean, we had that, you know, that egregious uh, forward progress call that went against uh, Boston college, which, if they had any fans, it would have really just razzed them a little bit. <laughs> Didn't you send out? You sent out something on the for, forward progress. Uh, the uh, I yeah, think to, it, to I Michael think Felder. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mike. Mike, who works for Bleacher Report, just he went on a rant about how terrible Mike. Uh, Mike played defensive back at North Carolina, and he uh, he hates how every penalty basically goes against the defense. So when I was rewatching the game the next day, I I saw that and just I saw the saw it watching it live, and then you rewatch it and just how bad it was. 
but but the point being, I mean, there were there, you know, you look back on a win like this and you're like, yeah, we got the win, but we also did make some mistakes. So I don't know if we, you know, we turned a corner in some aspects, but like if a break or two goes, you know, the wrong way and we don't keep those drives, you know, we don't keep some drives alive. We don't, we don't get a break here or there. Um, you know, maybe it's a little bit different. I thought that uh, Frank commented on after the game, the the combo, the package play they have that was, um, you know, the the fade was essentially just a combo. So it was either you throw the fade route or you, or you run the ball. And I'm with Frank on that. Like, yes, like Leffler, Leffler they, they asked Frank and Leffler the same thing at the end of the game. And Leffler goes, yeah, there were nine guys in the box. I went back and I rewatched it. There were definitely not nine guys in the box. There were eight guys in the box. And the outside linebacker who was technically in the box looked like he had bootleg responsibility. So he really wasn't uh, really aggressive to the run. But, yeah, I got to agree with Frank there. It's like I want to see them just, like, get physical and just start pounding the ball inside there. And I know there's only – you know, that's kind of where we're at now is, like, there's there's three games left, four games left with the bowl. Um, and it's just like, you know, do you, do you want – I still want this team to turn a corner. Like, I still want them to make a mark in 2015. I know a lot of people are still kind of just like, yeah, it doesn't matter because a new coach is coming in. Yeah, but but it's like I want to see them get better because, I mean, you know, really, these are going to be the same kids we're playing with the next year. The whole team is coming back, you know, really other than Brewer and Kendall most likely and a, and a couple other guys on the D-line. And you're exactly right about that. And that's something I was kind of struggling with after the game. And I, we were just talking about it before we started is that because of the announcement of Frank's retirement this weekend, our our thoughts on the game are not what they typically would be, and maybe we would be a little bit more critical of certain things here or there. But that it's kind of like a new start to this three-game season we have coming now because of the Frank retirement and because of potentially new motivation for the players and – I'm just really happy we got that win because now a bowl game is feasible. If we lose that game, it's it's practically impossible. We'd have to win these last three games. We beat BC, a team we should beat. I don't care what anyone says. Going to Chestnut Hill and winning is tough, and we did it. So we're going to transition into the stuff that we really want to give some proper time to, and that's about Frank's retirement, about who potentially – our next coach will be what we want to see in our next head coach. And we're going to get to that now, but first we're going to stop for a beer break. I'm drinking the founders is a great brewery. I'm drinking the double trouble. It's a delicious double IPA. What are you drinking over here, Pete? I'm having the serum. It's by Duclaw brewing company out of Baltimore, Maryland. I've had a couple of their other beers. They make good beer. This one's 8.3% alcohol. Uh, living up to its double IPA name. And I like it. I might like that Founders more because I had one of those earlier, but this is pretty good, the Serum Double IPA from Duclaw. Uh, Joe, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking tonight one of these 16-ounce American-made Pounders. Uh, (laughs) It's a little brewery I think you guys might have heard of, Paps Blue Ribbon. It's delicious. I mean, if you like... (laughs) You know, of the cheap American beers, quote unquote American beers, because they're all getting sold overseas. This is this is my go-to cheap American water beer. That's why everybody loves you, Joe. You're so down to earth and you know going straight American. It's, it's delicious. <laughs> all right. Well, we need to talk about Frank and maybe what he's meant to some of us, but more of how his retirement was handled. And if you're asking me, I think the way it went down was was the best case scenario for what we could have expected because there was no going out kicking and screaming. There was no going out with a 2-10 season. 
you know, he sensed that it was a tough time. We ended up getting a win. We had a bye week, so it wouldn't distract the team. And Frank, as he said he would, did what was best for Virginia Tech and retired. And Robbie and I had, we were never calling for his head, but we had said that it's it's probably time for him to go. And he took it out of our hands. Yeah, I mean, I think Frank did, you know, the whole the whole athletic department, Frank included, I mean, they could not have asked, you know, for a better way for him to step down. And I mean, I, th- I think Frank deserves all the credit for that because I mean, really at the end of the day, he held a Trump card. And if he really wanted to push it with the media that he wanted to come back, everyone would have ran with it. It would have went national and he might not have came back because ultimately the decision was Babcock's and, and president Sands, but he could have made this, you know, much more difficult. And I just think, I think the selflessness and like what Frank has meant to the university was just exemplified by him, you know, stepping down. I think he's, you know, he during his retirement speech or retirement press conference, you know, I really think someone asked him a question about the injuries and going back and he was he almost kind of let it slip a little bit like, you know, maybe if something had been different I would have been here next year, not like, you know, it was time, but it was time because of the context of the season. And so it's like my hunch is, you know, maybe if things went a little bit better, he's here next year. He he's not retiring, but I mean, just what he did, like he he put the program first. And how many coaches do that? Not not many, or if any, it's outrageous. And Shane has said it for a couple years now. How how much of a fighter uh, Frank is that you don't actually see. He wants to win, and you don't really see that because he's such a genuine person. He's so nice. He's so caring. He puts the program first. But he has a he has a little bit of fire in his belly, and he wants to win. And I think he genuinely was hoping to go out on you know a really high note. Unfortunately, things didn't really go that way. That press conference was um, I, I'm going to say un, unbearable. In there was not like I I like I couldn't take it. That's how upsetting that press conference was. I've never you know seen something like that where I saw somebody care about a program and be. Um, so selfless, you know, he repeatedly said that he's the luckiest person because of being part of this program and not talking about the fact that he is this program, right? Like, where, when do you ever see that? Like somebody that sometimes the most beautiful people on earth are so blind to what they do on a day-to-day basis. And I feel like that's Frank in some respects that he's so blind to what he gave to this program that he built it from the ground up that he feels like, um, like he was given a gift, even though he gave it to us all. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it. I asked people, you know, on the website and on Twitter, you know, just to, just to relay a Frank story. Like you bumped into Frank, and what he, you know, what happened? And there was not one person who responded back with, you know, Frank big big time me or Frank snub me or everything was like. He asked me how I was doing. He said, "Oh, I like those shoes." You know, "Oh, I like what you're eating." You know, just stupid stuff that just. You know, I don't want to say grandfatherly because I don't want to like date him, but it, everything does just like just just good guy Frank. Like, and, and I think the program's going to be the program's going to miss that. And you know, I I I think it was a really long time ago when Philip Fulmer basically got ousted at Tennessee. Uh, I want to say that Spencer Hall wrote this, but he and I think it was him. It was a little while ago, but basically he said, um, you know. Uh, family football at Tennessee was was over with, and then they were moving on to, 
you know, kind of business football. And in a sense, I feel like that's what's happened to Virginia Tech. At some level, as a program, we've lost our innocence. And now we're going to, you know, we're going to go out. We're going to, you know, play a coaching search. We're going to get into that game. You know, if that coach doesn't do well, most likely he's going to get fired in four years. And we're going to be at it again. We're not going to ever, we're not going to ever have like another, you know, unless Shane comes back or they hire Bud. But we're never going to have like that hokey, that guy who was a great a player for us. You know, then then turn coach, and that's just that's just the shame at college football is like that used to be that way almost at like every school in a conference had a Frank, whether it was you know Fulmer, you know Frank, even Joe Paterno didn't go to Penn State, but he was there forever. Like just just guys who were at at schools for a really long time, and it took a lot to rattle them, you know, to get them to leave for the fans to call their head. And you know, it's different now, and so you know, I think Tech fans are going to be in a, a little bit of a shock, you know like they were like when we stopped winning 10 games like everyone wanted to shoot for the moon and you know hey looking back 10 games in a bowl, a bowl bin in, in Miami at the Orange Bowl here was a pretty goddamn good deal um you know now now it's going to be a fight to get back there and to your point on the family thing like every conference used to have a frank you're right that doesn't really exist anymore and i thought it was really brought to light when he walked up in the press conference with his wife Cheryl Yes. And like, like how many other coaches yes. would retire standing next to their wife, at least for the first few minutes to like, you know, this was our life together here in Blacksburg. We built it together. She stood by me. I worked tons of late nights and like, it's a family and she deserved to she be recognized as well. And that was awesome to me. It definitely was getting dusty in my office, just like everyone else watching that press conference. And I just wanted to – I wanted to talk about Frank's legacy to tie this together. And there are so many things you could say, and he was even asked to say, like, what do you want people to think of you? And, you know, Frank was like, he is who he is. It was typical Frank answer. He, he said, you know, he, he constantly was putting everyone else's accomplishments before his. Like, hey, Frank, how did you change the program? Well, you know, I had a lot of great people around me. That's typical Frank. To me, Frank's legacy was he built a winning program. He was respected by everyone. You, I mean, the amount of coaches that have come out with quotes about Frank is just unbelievable. A family atmosphere, and he did it all the right way. There was a clean program, and that's really his legacy. And the other part, and I think you guys would agree with this, is you can see his legacy all over campus in our facilities, the expansion of the stadium, the locker rooms, the new indoor practice facility, which is just absolutely insane, the Beamer Barn. It's unbelievable what he did for the university, what he did for the program. And just for, like, the metropolitan area has everything to thank for Frank, too. I mean, it's it's exploded in the past 10 to 15 years, and it's all because of him. I want to list off just a couple of his accomplishments Ten bowl wins, eight major bowls, four orange, four sugar. He beat 44 ranked teams. He finished in the AP poll 16 times, 22 winning seasons straight as we're still living in, and hopefully we will we'll do another one this year. Eight straight 10-win seasons, which we all remember, and 11 straight wins over UVA. He's second to none. He's everything we could have hoped for in terms of someone who would build a program and do it the right way. As I said before, I don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts on Frank. If you, 
I loved your post, Joe, about asking people for stories because I thought it was awesome. I sat there for 30, 45 minutes reading the entire thing, every single story. It was amazing. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Like I said, just to see how he he made an impact on everyone's life. I mean, for me personally, I'm I'm from Connecticut, and you know, I enrolled in 2001 at Tech, and there is no way in hell my guidance counselor in Connecticut knows anything about Virginia Tech unless you know Michael Vick took them to that national championship game. I mean, that's the only way that that's that's on their radar. And so, I mean, for me personally, in an, in an indirect way, like I'm at Virginia Tech because of Frank, and I just you know I think everyone's just hammered at home, but I you know the the, the legacy of just all the brothers going there and just, just the family atmosphere. Those those guys, uh, you know, really uh, the, the whole program, just the way he conducted himself, you know, running that program, never having a – I don't even know if he had a minor NCAA violation, let alone a major one. I mean, he was just clean as a whistle. It's the clean the cleanest program, I would argue, and if you did it over the years, the cleanest program that will probably ever exist. If you – you know, 29 years of it. Too. And especially inheriting, you know, a program that was on – sanctions when he took it over i mean and a program that's tough to you know when he started out it wasn't easy to recruit out of it became easy to go down to the 757 right but he had to learn how to recruit it was a place it's the reason that he came into sanctions well, because you know guess what blacksburg was not an easy place to recruit in and he found a way to do it the right way that's the story that mike vick told a story on espn when he was on espnu this week i don't know if you guys heard it where he said that frank just like went down you know mike was just like you know frank had on a suit and he just rolled up into Hampton Roads with Coach Cav, and uh, <laughs> he had a suit on, and Mike was kind of just like in the bad area of town type of thing. And, if, you know, he basically talked how Frank won his mom over, and it's just like, and it's just like, you know, I think we lost, you know, everyone wants to say that Frank's a, you know, Frank's a bad recruiter, and, you know, Frank's this, you know, Frank, and I tried asking Coach Foster about this, but I don't think I asked the question the right way when I asked him, but I think Frank's demeanor and the, the way he recruited brought a type of kid to Virginia Tech that worked very well for his system where, you know, he might not have got all the five-star kids that, you know, especially in this day and age, um, want to do every report with rivals and 24-7 sports and go to every camp and update the recruitment. And, you know, those are some great players, but they come with a lot of baggage a lot of times. Frank got those kids that, you know, were, you know, I think the old adage is like your, your coach, your coaching style, your team reflects the head coach's style. And I think that that starts even in recruiting. I think Frank brought in a lot of guys that were able to handle adversity. He talked about that during his retirement speech. And he just brought in a a Virginia Tech guy at the end of the day. And he built an amazing program with him. There's only only one person that I would tie into that. And it was one of the people that was at his press press conference. And that's Sam Rogers. That is the exact type of person that, one, is both grateful for what Frank gave him. And that's the way he he explained things, that he was grateful that he gave him a chance. And Sam Rogers, I think we all are in love with in so many ways and have been for the past few years, that he gives his all on the football field every single time because he feels like he has to earn it every single time. He gives 100%. So I think it was kind of beautiful to see Sam up there, and that's not to take away from from Kenna Canham. I thought that was great as well. But to see him up there, I was like, this is just too perfect. Yeah, I think in, in the story that Sam told about Frank calling his brother out of the blue because he got caught in a fire and Frank didn't even know the, the kid from Adam and just because of what Frank went through as a kid. I mean, that's just uh, going back to good guy, Frank, which is what it is at the end of the day. Just, you know, a guy, you know, I, I, like I said, of all those stories I read, every one of them was just, you know, out of the blue, this guy just did something nice for me. I mean, he, and my, my wife went down there for a, a wedding gift to get a signed football 
you know, she didn't, she just, she just went in there. It was like, Hey, you know, can I get a uh, ball for my husband? And yeah. Well, he made extra time to do it for, you know, you know, got it all done. And you know, he, he does that with everyone. I mean, he's just, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. Frank loved football. And I liked what you said about the guy who he recruited. They like, he wanted a guy who loved football and that's what Sam Rogers is. That's what so many of his players have been. People can tell that about him. He's competitive. He loves the game. And if you are the same way and you can play, he'll, he wants you in his program. And we saw a lot of that over the years. And it's been an honor to watch. And it's going to be weird not seeing him next year as our head coach. But that leaves us in a good place to transition. This head coaching opportunity at Tech Frank has left it, as he said in his press conference, in a really good spot. That might be his biggest legacy right there is like over 29 years building up a program that, like you just said, is the most attractive job out there right now, you know, aside from USC West. And hell, there might be coaches that don't want to live in Los Angeles, and it's just not for them. I mean, this is a a premier job right now. In terms of fit, uh, you know, a guy who fits at USC wouldn't fit at Tech nine times out of ten. I agree. So... On the East Coast right now, in small-town college football, we are the most attractive job. Now, Georgia may come open. UVA may come open. There are some other opportunities. But across college football, how do you think our job stacks up? Do you think, do you think we can bring in that hot coaching hire because of what Frank has done? Or do you think we're still kind of maybe going to have to settle for a second-tier like coaching hire. If it's me and I'm looking at it and I'm a coach, like I see this as just the best opportunity out there right now. I mean, and, and no, no offense to USC. I think USC, like if you get an opportunity to coach at USC, you have to, cause it's of its legacy. And it could really, if you want to go to the NFL, it's like a pit stop on the way to the NFL. Um, you know, but Virginia tech is just, you know, facilities, top notch fan involvement, top notch AD. You want to work with top notch, you know, the recruiting the recruiting is probably the biggest hang up because, you know, within spitting distance, there's really nothing in the Roanoke the Roanoke area. We get a, maybe a player out of there every other year, sometimes like in the Danville area, something like that with David Wilson. But really Tech's getting its players from uh the seven five seven, you know, the North uh North Carolina. And really they gotta start hammering uh Northern Virginia, Maryland. But I mean, if you look at if you look at stuff like population pyramids, where this population in this country is exploding are Within four hours of Virginia Tech's driving distance, you know DC, uh, where we're at right now in the DMV, um, and in the seven five seven. I mean, those are just a lot of people are you know being created there, for lack of a better term. And uh, you know, I mean that that new coach is going to be able to go out there and pound that trail. And given that we haven't done well, but the fact we have historically done well would would signal to me, hey, they slipped, but I could get back in there and really start hammering this thing again, especially with the transition at UVA and Maryland, especially given that North Carolina, you know, we're still beating North Carolina out for some of the kids in Virginia and even some kids in North Carolina. Um, you know, Tennessee's in there, Penn, uh, Penn State. The, the big players are really Ohio State, uh, Alabama, and Florida State. And they, they came in, they've been eating our lunch, and that's just because we, we've fallen off. I mean, that's, that's who's come in and kind of taken our kids away from us. But if I'm a new coach, I don't – I mean – I could just have my blinders on here, orange room blinders, but I think it's just a, I think it's a terrific job. It's not blinders. It's, it's the truth because, well, first let's take why it's a good job. 
you need to be able to win as a coach these days. And that, that from a lot of people, you know, a lot of other sports experts have come out and said, Virginia tech is a top notch job because you can win in that conference. The coastal is not the most dominant, you know, you know, subconference, you know, not the ACC in general, but the coastal is not a dominant, you know, subconference and being able to win is actually really high on coaches, um, you know, checkoff list in this day and age, because you don't want to come in and do one year or two years and then get thrown to the, you know, thrown to the curb. So, Knowing that you can come in and you can succeed is a huge, huge check the box for a lot of coaches. On your point, and you bring up a ton of great ones, Joe, is uh, Northern Virginia area is exploding and Maryland is just taking that for storm. That's the closest area and they're coming down and they're taking a lot of players. We need to get into the Northern Virginia area. I grew up there. The amount of schools that are kind of high schools just that are you know growing in that area when you have that many and there's that population growth in that area, you're going to get good players, period. That's just the way it's going to go. And I think that's one place that we have to take take down. I feel like there's going to be times FSU has stolen some of our biggest recruits. Uh, Alabama has stolen some of our biggest recruits. We need to get a name in there that either one is big or two is personable, and we need to take back over the 757. Uh, that is unacceptable that other people are raiding that recruiting ground, given we have been you know, the beacon of light of going down there and treating people right and treating the coaches right and you know, bringing players in. And for the most part, yeah, we switched around a couple of people's uh, positions that they, we thought they were going to come into, and guess what? We've also put some of those people in the NFL in the differing positions that they were supposed to. That 757 area needs to be our home ground, and we need some of them to come in and, and, and take that over. As Joe said, I, I agree that recruiting is probably the toughest part of this job because you do have the facilities, you do have a strong AD, you have a great stadium and game day atmosphere, atmosphere as he alluded to. So these are some of the things that we're going to get to in when we talk about the how we want our new coach to attack uh, just the job in general. Do we want an offensive guy? Do we want a defensive guy? Do we want a heavy recruiter? Do we want someone who develops players? This is something we'll talk about. But in terms of what the Virginia Tech job is, it's a darn, darn good job. It's probably the second best available at the moment. You could argue that Miami is a better job. You might be able to, people might view Miami as a place easier to win a national title. I would agree. It has a higher ceiling just historically. Well, historically it has the five national championships and they have all that talent in, you know, what they call, you know, uh, it's the hottest recruiting, the state of Miami. What a hotbed in the country. Yes. Howard Schnellenberg called the state of Miami. But let me ask you guys a question. If every job in the ACC uh, coastal, became open tomorrow, who would you have as the top job in the con- in our division? It's probably Miami and then us. You think Miami and then us? It, they're, they're, they're neck and neck, but I think, like you just said, I think the ceiling, just because of their recruiting footprint, although their facilities I don't think are as good, oh, and their stadium situation is awful, it's, it's Miami and then Tech, only based on history and recruiting footprint. But I think Robbie disagrees with me. 
I don't. I'm not going to get like energetic about this, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Miami. Um, a lot of people bring this up. Their stadium isn't even. It's 30 minutes away from where they actually are. There's there's not a home crowd there. They're hurting for money. They, they it's not. They haven't been apt to spend a lot of money on coaches in the past. On top of that. I think Virginia Tech, while Miami's always going to be fighting with recruiters, Florida is one of the hotbeds, right, of of recruiting for football in general. You're going to be going up against Florida proper, and, you know, you're going to be going up against, you know, God forbid that UCF and USF ever come back and, you know, start competing for players. But that's a, that's a, tough place and now you have like the big times alabama's going down there recruiting you have ohio state stretching that far to go down there and try and find recruits virginia tech we're getting a little bit pressured but right now i think if you can take over that 757 area i feel like it's good recruiting it's a conference we're in the same con- you know conference that you can win in and i feel like that the virginia tech fans and I know this is going to be like just seem like I'm just you know catering to our fan base, but I feel like we're realistic about expectations, right? I am fully prepared for the next three seasons to be kind of all over the place. I'm ready for three years from now for us to really turn things on. I don't feel like Miami has had that expectation for a while. It's always been you hire the right guy, and the next season it should be good. And sometimes they don't hire the right guy. They don't put the right due diligence into it. And I think that Virginia Tech is has a great fan base, a great stadium. You've got a great atmosphere. You have a lot of money flowing into it. You have recruits that are accessible and that you can push other big-name schools back out of to stop taking your talent. I feel like it's one of the best, best jobs in the nation, and USC is probably the only other one that's better. In terms of the open jobs at this point, I I kind of agree, but like I said, Miami is right there. They're always going to have that recruiting footprint, and that's big. And those kids, they want to go to the NFL. They don't care about playing in front of full crowds. And Miami will always have that advantage. Well, can I have one more point on Miami? Absolutely. I think the question about Miami is, is does Miami want to be good at football, right? Because I think, and this is a serious question, I think there's been a lot of talk uh, Luther Campbell did an interview with uh, Stephen Godfrey at SB Nation where he basically admitted that um, the school itself wants to distance itself from that kind of culture that Schnellenberger and that Butch uh, Davis embraced to get those kids there. I mean, he he basically said flat out that uh, Amari Cooper, I believe the kid who went to Alabama, the receiver that's with the Raiders right now, um, Miami didn't even offer the kid. And he Alabama went in there and offered him because they just didn't want, you know, quote-unquote, that, that type of kid. So, yeah, I mean... I mean, they're, they they might not, you know, I think they want to be good at football, but the fact that they don't have, like, you know, that, that they're not using this money to get a stadium back on campus, that they're that they're not, I mean, they have such a, a legacy of coaches that kind of get it there that they could bring in to, like, really get those kids. And they're, I, I'm almost sort of convinced that Miami is happy being a private school. They're happy getting the ACC money. It's almost kind of like Wake Forest South, where, like, they would almost rather have, like, a nice basketball program than, and really get back into the the tarnish that could go with being the U again. And that's one of the reasons I didn't name any of the other teams in the Coastal as far as being a better job is because most of them do concentrate on basketball. Like, of course, UNC, 
UVA, like they could be football giants if they wanted to be. They have the funding and they might not have the facilities, but they could get the facilities. But the thing is, they're good at basketball, and especially in UNC's case. They've always been good at basketball. Whoever the basketball head coach is, it's always going to be bigger than the football head coach. And that will always hold them back in terms of getting the best football resources and coaches. All right, we need to we need to move on because we I feel like we've been on this topic for a while, but I did really enjoy it. Witt has been doing a really good job contacting some of our recruits. He's trying to handle the transition nicely. And I know I have all all the faith in Witt. I know that he's gonna do a great job throughout the coaching search and whatever else. I'm curious as to Joe's thoughts on whether if we go to a bowl, do you think that helps, hurts, or it does not matter at all in terms of our coaching search? Oh, I 100% think that going to a bowl is the best thing. I mean, there were people that were saying, like, I hope we lose the rest of our game so we don't go a bowl. This is before Frank uh, stepped down that we you know can lose out, fire Frank, and just get our coaching search on. I think the bowl practices are 100% invaluable. Um, I think the fact that you could hire a coach between the last after the last game and before bowl season, still Frank is coaching the bowl, but the new coach is observing everyone. He's taking notes. He could be at those practices. He could watch them, you know, practice fifteen times, watch them play in a bowl. I think that's huge just to have that extra film and let him let him observe. Um, I think that happens a bunch. I'm trying to think of something, uh, one that happened off the top of my head. I'm just struggling for that. But I, every time you hear about these coaches getting hired, you know, they they leave their school, they go to the new school, and they just observe and they're watching. They go in the booth, you know, during the bowl game and talk to the announcers. I think I think it'd be great um, having the coach. I think I think the timing of this is going to have to be before basically the holidays. I think they want to have someone in, um, you know, af- after Frank's you know last game after after last regular season game after UVA. But before like Christmas, because I mean, really signing day, they're going to have an extra, you know, 30 some odd days between, you know, January one and then whatever the first Wednesday in February is. Um, so I think they're going to I think the new coach has an opportunity to come in and go pound the trail down himself. I mean, look, Maryland's without a coach. UVA might be without a coach. You know, there's going to be a lot of kids exactly sign these kids here who, who maybe didn't want to come play for Frank because they didn't think he'd be around. But It's like, hey. I like the school. I like the facilities. We have a new coach now. You know, come take an official visit. And that's the beauty of Frank announcing this early and him being such a good guy because you know he'll be there to mentor if if that coach wants it or just advise whatever situation you need to make this transition smooth because he's going to do that for this program. If he needs to talk to a recruit because, you know, so-and-so is going to be the next head coach. He's happy to do it and just make it nice and easy. And it's a beautiful thing, honestly, because we can hire a coach December 1st or whatever it may be after the UVA game. And Frank can stay on potentially for that bowl game because we earned it for him. And so I, I really like the way this is playing out. At first I was a little concerned with like, maybe we make a bowl game and Frank hasn't announced it yet then it would be a really awkward situation if we're trying to new, hire a new head coach. But obviously that's all been taken out of our hands. I think it'll be good. And regardless of what happens, you know Frank is going to be an ambassador to this program and put VT first. Before we talk about the new coach, I think I think we got to take a break because that was that was a lot right there. And I think this could get a little fiery with our uh, – 
with our talk about the coaching candidates because there's a few names that have irked a few people, uh, especially from the key play crowd. 